You guys can have a seat. Good morning again. Thank you, worship team. All right. Hey, I forgot to, to uh, announce this morning, if you are new with us uh, this morning uh, on your seat or on a seat next to you, you would have probably found a connection, a connection card. If you just uh, take a moment and fill that out, take it back to the Connection Center after service, we've got a great gift for you guys for coming out and visiting with us this morning. Well, if you uh, were with us last week, you know that we started a new series uh, talking about words from the cross. And so um, what we want to do through this series is we want to take some time and we want to focus on some of the last words of Christ as he was up on the cross. And as we get into this this morning, uh, I want you to realize that every word that we are communicating this morning The words that Jesus spoke on the cross were not just for the the person who's never trusted in Christ, but it's for that person who has trusted in Christ also and has made Jesus their Lord and Savior. It's just as much for that person as it is for you today. And so with that said, um, I hope that whenever it was that, that, that you accepted and trusted Christ as your Savior, that you'll think back to that moment and also Uh, about today to understand the message is relevant for you now. And so I want you to ask God, even at this moment, say, Lord, you know, whatever truth you're trying to communicate to me at this moment, I want to receive it, God, this morning in a way that changes my life. And as we approach the cross this morning, at the cross we know that there was Jesus' mother. We know that there were his, his aunts. They were standing there as well. Mary Magdalene was standing there at the cross. His disciple, his, his closest friend, John, was standing at the cross. The Bible tells us that there were others who stood off at a distance, whether it was because they were just ashamed or, or maybe they were afraid. We don't know exactly what caused them to do that, but they stood off at a, a distance and they watched as Jesus struggled. We also know that Jesus went through just an excruciating death on the cross. I mean, Jesus experienced beatings, he experienced scourgings, as well as, you know, mockery and insults. They would have smashed a crown of thorns down into his head. They would have driven spikes through his wrists and his feet. At that time that this happened, this was the worst, most humiliating, brutal way that a person could die. And I think it's important for us as we think about these words, that we get a clear picture of what was happening on the cross. And for us to understand the kind of death that Jesus endured, because I believe it helps us to grasp and to feel the weight of these last words. We not only see why Jesus spoke them, but we also see why they are very, very relevant to every single one of us in this room today. When we think about the physical death and what Jesus went through, it's a very disturbing picture. How many of you guys remember a while while back, some of you might be too young for this, but Mel Gibson came out with the movie The Passion of the Christ. Did anyone go go see that? I remember sitting there at The Passion of the Christ in this movie theater watching this movie and remembering seeing people walking in, right? And they've got their, their popcorn and hot dogs and drinks and all that stuff. And within five minutes after the movie started, the, 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 the eating stopped. Right, Food went down to the floor. Everyone was like, man, I can't eat another thing because that movie just grabbed you. Just that long depiction of the beatings and what Jesus went through. I mean, it was gripping. I remember going through a lot of emotions as I watched that movie. 
that graphic depiction of what Jesus went through. I mean, it, it, was, it was brutal. However, as painful and disturbing as it is for us to think about what Jesus went through physically, for us to think about what Jesus endured on the cross, I want you to understand this morning that that was not the worst part of what Jesus experienced that day. As hard as it was, and it was brutal, the worst part of the cross was not the beatings. The worst part of the cross were not the insults. It was not the public humiliation. It was not the nails. It was not the fact that Jesus would have suffocated to death. The worst part of the cross is what Jesus experienced and suffered spiritually. By far the most difficult part of the crucifixion was the moment when God the Father abandoned Jesus on the cross and left him completely alone to die for your sins and mine. There are seven statements that Jesus spoke on the cross. John and Luke give three of them, but Matthew and Mark only give us one. These words may be the most significant words that Jesus spoke, and I want us to read them this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 15. We're going to start in verse 33, and it says this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, according to Jewish custom, the day starts at 6 a.m. So we know that Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. So for three hours, Jesus hung in the morning sunlight. And then at 12 o'clock noon, Matthew and Mark tell us that the whole earth became dark. From 12 o'clock noon until 3 in the afternoon, the lights on the earth just like completely went out. And at that moment, God's love and his holiness all of a sudden collides. And Jesus cries out with this loud voice. He cries out to heaven. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of questions that are floating around in your mind at this moment. I remember one of the very first times that I, I read this and it really grabbed a hold of me, this statement, and I thought through it. And, and I mean, there were questions that were going on in my mind as well. And so I want to talk the rest of our time this morning, I want to kind of talk through these questions. And the very first question uh, that I think I remember asking myself, and I think that you might be asking yourself this morning is this, did God the Father really, truly abandon his son Jesus on the cross? And the answer is yes, he did. But we need to understand that this wasn't just a moment where God completely threw Jesus under the bus. This was not a moment that all of a sudden God's love just disappeared. This wasn't a moment where, where Jesus was no longer God in the flesh. And this wasn't a moment where the Trinity was torn apart. This was a moment when God broke fellowship with his son. As Jesus was suffering... As Jesus was, was crying on the cross, he's crying out to his father, God literally turned his back on him. God turned his back on God. You know, every time in the scriptures when we see Jesus referring to God the Father, we always see him referring to God as Father, Abba, Father, all throughout the Gospels. But in this one place, and this one place only, he calls him God. And you say, well, Why? Because the fellowship had been broken. God's presence was gone. At this very moment, Jesus was left to suffer and to endure the cross alone. And so I think that brings up the next question 
is this, is why would God do this? Right, why would God abandon Jesus? I think we need to go back to the Garden of Gethsemane for a moment, the evening of the Last Supper. The last evening that Jesus had with his disciples, he walks down from the upper room where they were and he goes into the garden. And he goes into the garden of Gethsemane to pray to his father. And in Mark chapter 14, here's what it says, verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he, being Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so here we are in this garden at this very moment. We see this very different side of Jesus that we've not seen all throughout the Gospels. I mean, up to this point, we've seen loving, right? We, we've seen caring, we've seen bold, we've seen authoritative, we've seen fearless. And then we read about this moment in the garden where Jesus is distressed. We read about him, it says he's, being, he's troubled. We read about him being filled with sorrow. Luke's account tells us that Jesus was under so much stress that he actually begins sweating blood. So the big question is, how does a man go from being bold and fearless and authoritative to being under so much stress that he actually begins to sweat drops of blood, to be filled with so much sorrow that he actually feels literally like he's going to die? Verse 36 gives us the answer. Jesus prays, he says these words, Father, remove this cup from me. Now it might seem like a strange request, right? Kind of seems Odd. God, take this cup away. I mean, what kind of cup are you talking about? It's a, it's a strange request. Unless you realize what Jesus is asking God to do. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 51, verse 17, he talks about this, this cup. And he talks about this cup that is just full of the wrath of God. And Isaiah paints this picture of, of God holding this cup that is just full of anger. Holding this cup that is just full of his, his fury and his vengeance towards sin. And he's extending this cup towards sinful people getting ready to pour it out on them as punishment. And we've talked about this fact before that, that God is holy. And God is just. And because of that, God cannot look past sin he can't just look down and turn his head. He can't just give someone a free pass when it comes to the issue of sin. His very nature just does not allow it. If God could just simply let it go, if he could just turn his head, then he wouldn't be holy and he wouldn't be just. He simply wouldn't be God. And so because of sin, there's a punishment. And because of that sin, it demands a punishment. We know that that punishment for sin is death, not just physical death, not just separation from soul and spirit from body, but spiritual death as well. Separation of soul and spirit from God. And so here's Jesus, he's in this garden, and he's pleading with God, he's pleading with his father, remove this cup, remove this cup of wrath, remove this, this cup of sin's punishment from me. I mean, he's, he's begging God not to have to experience what it's like, not just to die physically, but to die spiritually and to be separated from him, cast out of his presence. He's so overwhelmed with the thought of being abandoned in this way by his father that it's causing him to sweat drops of blood, 
to be so overwhelmed, Scripture says, to the point of death. Author William Len Craig says, Jesus entered the garden to be with his father for an interlude before his betrayal, but found hell rather than heaven open before him. So why was Jesus facing this type of punishment from God? Why was he feeling the weight of this cup of God's wrath and anger towards him at this moment? Well, I want you to understand this, is that it wasn't because of anything that he had done. It wasn't because of a mistake that that Jesus had made. It wasn't because of a sin that Jesus committed. Jesus was a sinless man. He was perfect in every way. There was absolutely no earthly reason for Jesus to be punished for sin. Jesus was facing physical death and being abandoned by the cross because of sin. It was my sin. It was your sin. See, Jesus willingly submitted to God's wrath and punishment of sin for one simple reason, us. Erwin Lutzer says, it's be- <clears throat> if the father turned away from the son at the cross, it was only because they agreed it must be so to purchase our redemption He says it was a horrid necessity. Now I want you to listen to this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, because I think the Apostle Paul paints such a clear picture of what's going on at this moment. It says this, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul says that at the cross, Jesus became our sin. In order for God to punish Jesus for sin, Jesus had to assume our sin. Jesus had to become responsible for our sin. So we've got perfect, spotless, blameless went to the cross. Jesus went to the cross, perfect and spotless and blameless. Without blemish, he went to the cross. And when Jesus did that, he became our sin. And so God's wrath, God's punishment, everything in that cup got poured on Jesus. All of a sudden, perfect, blameless, became sin, became everything that is wrong with sin, everything that we struggle with, everything that we wrestle with in this life. Jesus became that at that very moment. I want you to think about your sin for a moment. I want you to think about the sin that you're struggling with at this moment, or maybe a sin that you've struggled with in the past. Maybe there's a sin that you're trapped in now in the present, or a sin that may happen in the future. See, at the cross, Jesus took those sins That's your sin. At the cross, Jesus became your anger problem. At the cross, Jesus became your pride. He became your arrogance. He became your racism. He became your bigotry. He became your lust issue. He became your adultery problem. He became your pornography addiction. He became the way you treat your kids. He became the way you treat your wife, the way you treat your husband. See, at the cross, God did not see Jesus sinless and perfect any longer. He saw Jesus as this guy who can't control his anger. He saw Jesus the adulterer, Jesus the racist, Jesus the porn addict, Jesus the prideful guy. At that moment when light became darkness, Jesus became our sin. He took the sin off of us and he put it on himself. And when that happened, God could no longer bear to look at his son, in God's holiness, in the fact that God is so just, he, can't, he couldn't handle looking at it any longer. He could not look at his son. His son was now covered in your sin and mine. And so he abandoned him. He left him. He removed his presence from him. 
He broke fellowship with his son for the very first time in eternity. And he poured out every bit of wrath, every bit of punishment that your sin and my sin deserved onto his very own son. And you say, why? Why would God do that? Paul says that Jesus became our sin. He was abandoned by God. He took our punishment so that we might become the righteousness of God. He did it so that we could be made right with God. I want to tell you something this morning. I love you guys. But I wouldn't do that for you. I love my kids way too much. I would not turn my back on them and pour your sin on them for you. But see, in order for us to have salvation... In order for us to have eternal life, in order for us to have victory over sin, in order for us to have relationship with God, Jesus had to do this. He had to provide a way for us to be forgiven, for things to be made right with God. There had to be a way for us to be made righteous. We needed a way for God to see us as perfect and sinless. And so because Jesus did this, now we can stand in God's presence and he sees Christ's righteousness on us. And if you think for even a moment that you had anything to do with this, you need to let that thought go. Because the only reason when God looks at you, he sees righteousness, it's because he sees the righteousness of Jesus. See, when he sees that in your life, it's what Jesus has done. It's not what you have done, not even for a moment. That is why, that, that's what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. This is why God had to abandon his son. Martin Luther calls it the great exchange. Jesus becomes our sin. He takes our punishment and he clothes us with righteousness. And he did that so that we can stand in the presence of God. And according to Colossians 1.21, he did this so that we could be described as blameless and above reproach and free from accusation. That is why God abandoned Jesus on the cross. So that we could be forgiven and things could be made right between us and God. That's it. I love that hymn that says, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe, right? Sin had left a crimson stain, but he, Jesus, washed it white as snow. And so when God sees you now, what does he see? He doesn't see you as sinful and dirty and unworthy. He sees you with Christ's righteousness clothed upon you. Now, I don't know about you, but there have been so many moments in my life and over this last week as I've gotten ready for this message where you just kind of push yourself away from the table, put your, hand in your, uh, your, your head in your hands, and you say, my goodness, Lord, I don't deserve this. Not even for a moment. I want you to think back to the words for just a moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that mean for us right now? Here's what it means for us. Number one is that we have everything we need to live in victory over sin. Right? Everything that we need, we have right at our disposal to live in victory over sin. I've shared with you guys before about, you know, when I was younger, the school that I, I went to for a good bit of my student life, the environment that I grew up in that taught us that, man, if we wanted to be good Christians, if we wanted to be right in God's eyes, and I needed to keep this list, and I needed to, to not sin, that was the goal. Right, the focus was on not sinning, making moral choices, staying away from the wrong people, making God happy with me. 
And if I didn't sin, then man, things were right, right? Things were good. If I made the right choices, God was happy with me. But if I didn't, I just felt like God was was punishing me. See, I was trying to earn something that was already earned for me. Many of you have been down this road. You realize it's like a treadmill, right? It just doesn't work. You know what I was doing? My whole life was about sin management. It's like I was trying to constantly manage my sin and many times feeling like because I wasn't doing a good job that I was a failure. See, when you totally focus on law and sin, that's what happens. When we spend our time focusing on being rewarded for resisting sin, we never really learn to accept God's acceptance of us, which actually frees us from sin. I want to tell you when this all changed for me. It changed when I stopped putting my focus on me and put it completely on Jesus. When I stopped trying to clean this up on my own and realize what Jesus had already done for me. Even though I still sin and I struggle with sin and you, and you will too. When I put my focus on Jesus, that's when things changed. See, he did something for me that I could never do for myself. And I'm continuing as I grow in my walk with Christ to learn to rest in that. See, he was forsaken so that I could be forgiven. He was condemned so that I could be uh, accepted. He drank the cup of suffering so that I could drink the cup of joy. He went through darkness so that I could walk through light. We learn to focus our eyes on Jesus. When he becomes the core of our existence, we begin to truly understand what it means to walk in victory over sin because everything that we need in this life, in this Christian life, is found in Jesus alone. It's the presence of Jesus in your life and your family that will ultimately change the way you live. Now, I'm not talking here about a salvation decision. This goes beyond that. For those of us that know Christ, I'm talking about your daily life. See, the presence of Jesus changes everything. It changes your desires. It changes your choices. It changes your decisions. It changes your marriages. It changes how you raise your children. It changes your, your stress level. I want you to think deeply for a moment what happened here. God loved us so much that he turned his back on his own son so that he would pay the penalty for our sin. Listen, tell me that didn't grieve the father's heart to do that to his son. Think about your own children. Think about, I mean, God, the depths of his love, which we'll never totally understand. Tell me it didn't grieve his heart to do that. That's a level of love that I, that you, will never understand Our motivation to not sin shouldn't be about rewards. It should be a response to this expression of love. We choose not to sin, not because of promises of rewards or blessings, but instead out of love and gratitude. See, my love for Christ is a response to his love for me. I want you to know, look, I totally don't understand even to this day the depths of his love. The Bible says in Ephesians 3.19 that we never will. It's too great for us to understand. But I will tell you this. I know that I don't deserve it. I know that you don't deserve it either. But I'm still learning to accept it and to rest in it. To just learn in the fact, to to learn to to rest in the fact that God loves me. 1 John 4.19 says we love, why? Because he first loved us. Right? It's a love that we can't get our arms around. But, but more, you know, the more you embrace Jesus, God just gives us a little bits and pieces more and more. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. 
Now I want you to understand this is a conversation that has been going on for centuries. Grace is a very dangerous topic, right? A lot of pastors want to avoid grace and forgiveness because they feel like, you know, if we talk about grace and forgiveness, it's just going to give people a complete license to sin. That conversation, right, that, that if we're totally accepted by God, then we can sin all that we want. People have thought that if we're forgiven, we can just keep on sinning, right? Knowing that God will still love us and God will forgive us. It's a common conversation. So common, in fact, that in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul addresses it. And he says this in verse 13. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? He says, by no means. Listen, just because I'm covered by grace and I'm forgiven and I'm accepted, God still has acts of obedience that he asks us to do, commands that are given, but we need to understand I'm not trying to earn something. I do it because of what he has done for me. I do it because I, I, I so desperately want to just to show him the gratitude of his love for me. It doesn't take away the, the acts of obedience that God has asked us. It, does, it doesn't free us up from sin. Listen, when you realize the depths of what someone has done for you and how much they love you, you want to walk after them. You realize why God has put these things in our lives to protect us out of love. And so in everything, we need to walk in victory over sin. Second thing, because God has abandoned Jesus on the cross, we need to understand this morning that he'll never abandon us. There are two issues that people struggle with and two things that cause people to feel abandoned by God and one of them is just sin. I know for some of you in this room this morning, you might be sitting here today thinking, you know what, my sin is so great, there's absolutely no way that God could ever forgive this thing that I have done. There's kind of like this line that you felt that you have crossed that, you know, that, that in your past or maybe in your present that you feel is greater than God's power to forgive and so as a result, here's what you see. You see God as this unloving father who's abandoned you because of your sin. Listen, if you are stuck here, let me, let me remind you that God abandoned Jesus over your sin so that he would not have to abandon you over your sin. See, here's how you know if you, if you get this or not, right? Here's how you know if you fully understand the full picture of the gospel. What do you do when you mess up? When you mess up, how do you respond? Do you try to work your way back into God's favor? Do you run away from God because you feel like you've just messed up? Do you say, man, I can't please him. There's just no way to do it. I can't handle it. So you know what? I'm gone. I'm not even going to try. How can I ever try to please someone that is unpleasable? Or do you run to him? Do you run back to the cross? And do you repent? See, this gift that God has given us, this gift of repentance where we, we change our mind uh, of our sin and we just run back to the cross and we fall down to our knees and we realize that forgiveness is already there for us. It's already yours because Jesus did this. Jesus took every bit of punishment that your sin deserves to the cross and as a child of God, every sin, past, present, and future, it's already been paid for. 1 John 2, 1 says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, I love this, we have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See, this verse says that when we sin, Jesus is my defender. 
right? Picture Jesus going to the Father and saying, see that sin that your child committed? You see that? I gave my life for that. I paid for that sin. Father, you abandoned me for that sin right over there. And so if you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, listen to me. God has not abandoned you over your sin and your mistakes. The work has already been done. It's been accomplished on the cross between the Father and the Son. Now let me say this. If you know Jesus and you're walking in sin, listen, the Bible tells us that there are consequences for our choices There are natural consequences for our choices. The Bible also talks about in Hebrews 12 that God will discipline you out of love like a parent disciplines a child. Even when he's disciplining you, he's not abandoning you. If anything, his discipline is a reminder of his love for us and how much he is willing to chase you down when you're caught in sin and to save you from harm and to bring you back to himself. So those of you who know Jesus and you're caught up in sin, Look, come home, right? Come home, come back to the cross. Come back to the cross, confess your sin, repent of your sin, and allow God to forgive you and cleanse you and restore you because it's already been accomplished. Sin is one of those things that makes us feel like God has abandoned us. The second thing is just life circumstances. One of the biggest questions that people deal with in life is, God, where are you when that happened? God, where were you when I lost my child? Or God, where were you when I lost my dad or my mom or when I lost my job? God, where were you when that happened? God, if you really loved me, you would not have turned your back on me at this moment. God, if you're really there, you would not have allowed that to happen. Right? That tornado, that tsunami, that hurricane, that wildfire, whatever it was, God, if you were real, that wouldn't have had happened. See, the circumstances of life naturally cause us sometimes to feel like God has abandoned us or left us. Look, the cross is a very clear reminder to us that life is not fair. Suffering is just a part of life. It's not just a part of life. It's a part of the Christian experience. Look, anyone who tells you that when you come to Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, that everything in your life is going to be great, everything in your life is going to be good, all of a sudden your problems are going to be fixed, you're going to have more money than you ever needed, you're going to have the happy life that you wanted, they're lying to you. Look, we still live in a very broken, sinful world, full of broken, sinful people. And as a result, we're going to experience difficult things in this life. And this is so important. The words from the cross this morning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They're a reminder to us. They're a reminder to us that God abandoned Jesus so that he would never, ever abandon us. And that just doesn't apply to moments when we're in sin. It doesn't just apply to eternity. Listen, it applies to the here and now. It applies to every circumstance that we'll ever go through in life. Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers. He goes on and says, Nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 46, 1, David, at this moment of struggle and just suffering, he says, God is our refuge and strength. This is a very present help in trouble. See, this means that whatever you're going through, God is a refuge. Whatever you're going through, God is a strength. He is very present, always there to help in trouble. 
See, Satan would love for you to believe that that during your worst moments that God has left you, that during your worst moments God has turned his back on you, that he has abandoned you. That's a lie and don't ever buy it. If that were the case, this would have never had to take place. 12 o'clock, the moment the world turned dark would never have taken place. God the Father would have never turned his back on his son if one day he was gonna turn his back on you and abandon you. And so instead of believing a lie, instead of thinking that somehow or another God has left you, embrace the fact that God sent his son to suffer and die for you so that instead of being forsaken, you would be forgiven. I'm not just talking about that moment of salvation. I'm talking about every single day. Instead of the cup of wrath being poured on you, we can walk in joy. Instead of walking in darkness, we can walk in light. I want us to bow our heads for just a moment. So we get ready to close.